Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. We're starting a new series today, and our new series is a study of the book of uh, the Bible, of well, one book in the Bible, the book of Colossians. And I love this book. Um, I think that this is a book that so accurately describes the person of Jesus. And that's why we're doing this, because we're having a look at who Jesus is. In fact, the whole series is called Jesus Is. And it's called Jesus Is because there is no other book, in fact, in the Bible that accurately or more accurately describes who the person of Jesus is. And I'll tell you, this matters. It matters so much because depending on who Jesus is, it will shape us. It shapes our values. It shapes our character. Uh, it, it shapes our decisions. It'll shape our relationships. And so we want to know exactly who is Jesus. And, you know, we are already living our lives in response to that question. I think there are a lot of people out there with big questions in life. And I think that the book of Colossians answers the most existential questions that we have in life. Like, for example, what's the point of life? Or what's the purpose of life? You know, or, or what, is, what is my purpose in life? I think we're living in a day and an age where there are so many people that are asking that question. You know, who am I? And what's the point of all of this? And these questions, these big and deep and meaningful questions, these questions have been asked by people for thousands of years. You know, there might be a big difference between the time when the scriptures were written and the age that we presently live in, but the questions of people's hearts are still the same. People still want to know, why am I here and, and what's life all about? And so thousands of years ago, uh, the Apostle Paul was on his way to a city called Ephesus to help answer that question for a whole heap of people who were asking the very same thing. And he came with answers. And so he came, he came to this city called Ephesus and he preached the gospel. And if you, if you don't know what the gospel is, the gospel is the message that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth. And he lived on earth and he lived the perfect life, one that we could never live. And, and the reality is, is that for most people, if we were to sit down and have a cup of coffee and really talk about how your life is going and, and who you are and the kind of decisions that you'd make, you'd probably be honest enough to admit that you're not perfect. And we've all made mistakes and those mistakes are so costly. And so, you know, God's standard for, to enter into eternity with Him as perfection. Well, you know, that's a standard that we just can't meet. And so Jesus Christ came and He lived the perfect life that we could never live. In fact, the Scriptures are so clear in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son and whoever, that is an all-inclusive statement, you know? It's like, it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter your history. You have a whole bunch of uh, junk in your closet that no one knows about that you just try to keep away and hope no one ever finds out. You know what? Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. So what Jesus did is He paid the penalty for all of our sins. And if by faith you believe that what He did on the cross was the penalty for all the mistakes that you've made in life, then you become what we call saved by grace through faith in Christ. And you know, guys, I think that's a pretty good explanation of the gospel. Amen. I think that that is, that is exactly what the gospel 
is really all about. And so the gospel was answering the questions of people's hearts. He was answering the question, what is life all about and, and, and who am I? And we got to find who we are in Christ. And so here comes Paul and he's, he's preaching this message. Well, there was a man uh, who was there in the city who's actually just visit, visiting. His name was Epaphras. And so here he is and, and he's, you know, just listening to this message called the gospel and it totally transforms his life, you know. And I've met so many people that have been transformed by this message. For thousands of years, this message has been preached in cities all around the world and in places all around the world. It was changing lives then. It's still changing lives today. And so this man, Epaphras, he hears it and his life is totally transformed. He sees things differently. He sees things anew and he just becomes an evangelist. Boom, on the spot. One of the things I love so much about uh, you know, our relationship with God is, you know, you don't have to go to Bible college to operate in the spiritual gifts that God wants to put into your life. You know, like, you know, the, the, to be honest, like you already have things, gifts in you that you might not even know about and you become a Christian and then they find their purpose in Him. And so here's this man, you know, Epaphras from the city of Colossae, who's just, he's a Colossian in Ephesus, listening and turn evangelist, right? Gets this message, go home. So he preaches it to his own city. He's only been saved five minutes, you know, but, but the power of God is with him. And he preaches this message to his own city. They plant a church. You know, the interesting thing is Paul, the apostle, you know, he never even visited this place. He didn't even know about it. It was sparked by this man who heard the message and just went and shared it. You know, I, I, I reckon that's a pretty awesome message for a lot of people today. You might hear the message in here. You might hear the message while you're watching, but you could take it and spark that message somewhere else. And so he comes and he, he shares this message. The whole city gets caught up in it. Uh, Paul says, hey, from the time that we heard about you, we started praying for you because they, they didn't even know about them. And so what happens is, you know, this, this church begins to be planted. And, and, and let me just tell you a little something about the city of Colossae. There was different, you know, religious groups and people that lived in there. There were some Jewish people that lived in there uh, that followed, you know, Jewish faith. And there was a, a whole heap of pagans that lived in the city. And, and they were very spiritual kind of people. In fact, they've, they've excavated the city and found, you know, like different amulets that people would wear around their necks. And they would pray to angels and ask that the angels, you know, and the amulets that they wear to protect them from evil spirits and, and all the rest of it. And along comes this incredible message called the gospel that changes the way that they looked at all of the stuff that they previously believed. Now, best as we configure it, uh, either one, it's probably just one man, but maybe a small group of people, they are in the church and, and I'm going to go ahead and call this guy like a, like a shaman, you know, like he comes along and he starts sharing all these extra biblical spiritual truths that no one had really heard of except for him and he's like well I've got secret information I'll tell you how to get ahead and and you need to start doing these things and you need to start doing those things and that 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 guy in that church he starts messing it all up and it starts to fool people and the, and the, in, the, the most important thing is is the more that this man just talks the more that people are starting to wander away from the truth of who Jesus really as is. So Epaphras, he's like, oh my gosh, like we can't let this happen. So he goes and sees Paul, like, what are we going to do? Paul's in prison at the time. And then Paul says, well, I'll tell you what, well, let's, I'm going to write a letter and you're going to take this back and you're going to read this. And the letter that he writes is a description of who Jesus is because his whole point of writing this letter is to correct every wrong idea about who Jesus is is. And the reason why this is so incredibly important is because you can't believe uh, you can't believe wrong and live right. You know? Did you know? 
You can't believe wrong and live right. Not before God. So what are we saying? Well, right believing leads to right living. You have to understand some things about who God is so that you can apply those truths to your life and then live right before God. Right believing leads to right living. So Paul writes this letter to correct all of their wrong ideas. And in the first chapter, chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 15, this is how he opens. He says, He, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, all things, say all things. By Him, all things were created. Things, now get this, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, with the thrones, the dominions, the rulers, or authorities, all things, say all things, were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. What an opener. I don't know, have you ever pictured God? I, you know, I always laugh about this because whenever picture, people picture God, it's always the same stuff. You know, like, he's always wearing a toga, you know. Don't ask me why, like, in, in heaven where they know everything, right, they're still dressed in bedsheets. No one knows this, right? And Birkenstocks. And no one knows this. What is God wearing? He's wearing a sheet. And, and they, they in, 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 you know, since the beginning of time, as far as we can say, like, he's never changed his outfit. He's always wearing the same stuff. He has gray hair. He has a beard. And when you think of his face, he is always slightly, or maybe just concentrating, right? Now, don't, I, don't, I mean, don't you always find like God is just like, or maybe brooding or concentrating? Like, he's the God that created the universe, you know? Come on, like, I, I, I find it astonishing that God would have to concentrate on anything. He can do everything all at the same time, being everywhere all at once. Should he need to concentrate at any point? No, but you know, when, when, you, when you flick open kids' storybooks, that's kind of what God's wearing. And, you know, nothing has changed. Think of you know, when Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel and, you know, God is kind of frowning and reaching out and touching man, what is he wearing? A bed sheet. You know, like it, everyone pictures in the same way. And then we start to think about, well, what was Jesus wearing? Same thing. You know, we think about Jesus. Every picture you've ever seen of Jesus, he's wearing a toga, maybe with a red sash attached to it, you know, and he's still wearing sandals. And we think about that and we get these ideas and these images in our head about what he is wearing. But I want to talk to you not so much about what, what he's wearing, but who he is. We've got to understand who, the, who his character is. And, and I'm telling you right now, this will have a dramatic impact on how you live your life. Because when you meet people that have an encounter with who God is, they often live their life in response to who He is. So we kind of, you know, we got to see Jesus clearly in order to live rightly before Him. But you know, if you can't see Him clearly, 
you know, if things get in the way, maybe it's kids' storybooks, maybe it's, you know, just your own ideas of what you've been brought up with. Everyone's got a background. Everyone's got a history. Everyone has an idea or some kind of idea about if they think God is real, what he might be like. But what we got to do is kind of look at what he self-discloses because it's what he says about him that should probably matter to us. You don't want to be blinded by the storybooks and the paintings and the, and the history and then fail to see who he really is. Because you know what I've discovered, right? Is that when you can't see, you can't make adjustments in your life. Like I've even done this, like, I don't know if you've ever been skiing before, right? But I have gone out with, I put my goggles on and there's such a thick fog that I can only see my hands, right? Now, this has happened to me before, but I've been skiing and I can't see a thing. Now, this is freaky because you know that things are out there like, like trees and rocks and other people. And you, you know that you're moving, but you just can't see anything, right? I've got to be able to see in order to make the right adjustments, it's the same thing when we talk about God. We've got to see who He is in order to make the right adjustments in our lives. And this is exactly why Paul wrote this. And his idea here is to destroy every wrong idea about who Jesus is so that we can be left with the clearest image. And as a result, just adjust our lives. You know, the theologian Lightfoot, he said that this book and in fact this passage in this passage, Jesus is stated more clearly here than he is anywhere else in the Bible. And the opener is, Jesus is the image of God. Jesus is the image of God. What does that mean? Well, you know, the word image comes from a Greek word, icon. And if you look at that word, there are two nuances when this word is used. And almost every time this word is used, both meanings are included, but there's always a greater emphasis on one of the meanings. I'm going to tell you what they both are. I'll tell you the first one, and it still means this, but the second one is really what Paul is going after. So when it says that he is the image of God, it means that the image that's represented is the symbol or the object or symbolizes the object that's in question or what we're talking about. Let me give you an example of this. If you're living in Australia, you take any kind of coin and you flip it over, you have a look at the back, what are you gonna see? Well, you see a picture of the queen's head. And when you see her, her face on the coin, it is a symbol of who she is. It represents who she is, but in, a, in another way, it kind of represents her authority uh, you know, over the commonwealth. And so it, we see it, it symbolizes her. And what does Paul mean when he says this? It's saying that Jesus is the symbol of deity. He is the symbol of God. Now that's the first meaning. But the second one is the one that Paul is really pressing in on. This is where his emphasis is. And the second meaning of that word icon means manifestation. The word manifest means to make something plain and obvious. I mean, it's just so clear that this is what it is. That's what manifestation really means. So what are they saying? That Jesus is the manifestation of God. Yeah, what does that mean? It means that Jesus is God wrapped in flesh. He is what we call God incarnate. Have you ever had chili con carne? The word carne you have? It's good, yeah? The word carne is where we get the word meat. He is God wrapped 
in flesh. He is God wrapped in meat. He was always God, but he just takes the form of a human. It's good, right? So you, you read the scriptures and in multiple places, it really, it just continues to point to this. In fact, if you read the gospel of John, it says in John that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then a few verses later, it says, and the Word became what? Flesh and dwelt amongst us. Well, I don't want to confuse anybody this morning, so let me just help you out here, especially if you're new and you're like, I don't even know what you just said, right? So the word word means Jesus. All right, stick with me. It's going to get better. So the word word means Jesus. So what I'm going to do is take out the word word and replace it with the word Jesus. Let me try again, right? In the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. And Jesus became flesh and dwelt amongst us. That makes a lot of sense. In the beginning, was Jesus, pre-existent Christ, right? And He became flesh and He dwelt amongst us. Listen to what Hebrews says. Hebrews 1 and verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Forget the togas, forget the Birkenstocks, forget what you think He wears, right? Talk about who He is. If you want to know what God is like and all of your images is brooding and thinking deeply, try to start to look at Jesus because He is the exact imprint of His nature. That's who He is. Jesus is the invisible God made visible. He's the invisible God made visible. He said that He was God. Jesus said that He was God. You know, no other faith, no other major religion has a central figure that says that they are God. Buddha, Muhammad, they say that they're prophets. They, they, they have philosophies and all the rest of it, right? But Jesus said, no, no, no. He said, I am God. And this is a mind-bending uh, tension that we have is that God is a human. Is that God became completely human. And here Jesus is walking around in the very thing that He created. And to me, I read it, and it's astonishing to me and who He is. But people, for so many times, they have just not been able to bend their minds around that. It's been a little bit confusing. It's been confusing for a long time for a lot of people. I mean, think about it. Peter, even Peter, he spent so much time with Jesus, his disciple I'm talking about. And then one day Jesus says to him, all right, well, Peter, who do people say that I am? And he says, well, hey, some people say that you're this, some people say that you're that. Then Jesus asks an important question. It's one that you'll have to answer one day. And he says, all right, well, who do you say I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So in other words, Jesus is walking around. He looks human. But God did a revealing work. And that is how people come to see Jesus as God, is that there is a revelation. Now, if you don't see Him as God, there's more revelation to come for you. There's more that God has to reveal to you. Eventually, Peter saw it. But even after Peter's confession that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, the one that they had been waiting for, centuries later, people are reading the Scriptures and they still get confused about it. In fact, in the fourth century, a guy named Arius, right, he came and his idea was that Jesus was, in fact, just the highest form of human being. 
Like that he wasn't necessarily God, but he was the he was the highest form of, of human that we have. And there was a whole heap of theories that came out about that. And you know, and, and, and in fact he was labeled a heretic and and they said that's not true. Okay, so so no, they, they would say, no, he still is God. But you know, here we are centuries later, right? And especially in the 19th century, theologians from Germany and in England, they came up with this theory. It's called the kenosis theory. And the kenosis theory is that, okay, so maybe he was God, but, but, he, but he's, when he came to earth, he was only a man. In other words, he, you know, the kenosis theory is, is that Jesus gave up his divinity in order to become a human being on earth. Now, this little theory that I'm talking about, this has, in, even in recent times, I would say even the last five years, this, this kind of idea or even uh, uh, theology has got a lot of traction with some people being confused about who Jesus really is. You know, here we are, centuries later, people are still saying, well, maybe he was just a man. Come on, didn't he empty himself of his divine attributes and, and all the rest of it? Was he just a man while he was on earth, right? Well, why don't we just read the scripture? That's probably the best thing to do. So Philippians 2.7 says that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Man, that's, is that, I don't know, like, is that confusing? Should it be confusing? Because, you know, I don't know about you, but when we just read what it says, it it never says that he emptied himself of his divine attributes. It never says that he even emptied himself of any of his authority or his power or his dominion. It doesn't say that at all. What does it actually say? Well, if we read what it says, it says that he emptied himself taking the form of a servant. What does that mean? That's about his status and his position. But he was always still God. He absolutely had to be God. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. But look at what it says here. It says in verse 19, For in Him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus was always God. He had to be. So He was the pre-existent Christ came from heaven to earth, taking the form of a servant. But the whole time He was God. The entire time He was God. You know, in the early centuries, right? People were trying to figure this out. Wait a minute, what are you talking about? So, so, so okay, so we as, as, as Christians, we are monotheists. So that means that we believe that God is one. But just to confuse things a little, He's one in three parts. And trust me, we would never make this up. We spend time trying to understand it. So, so He is one God in three parts, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay, this is how God has disclosed Himself to people. This is what is written in the Scriptures, and this is exactly what it points to, right? So we are what we call monotheists, mono meaning one. We, are, we believe in one God, but in three parts. And they said, hang on, wait a minute. So you're saying that God is in, in, in heaven, God the Father, and then we have God the Holy Spirit, and, and He's around out there too, right? And then Jesus is on earth. And at the same time, let's just put a circle around all of them, all all of them are God, all at the same time. And they said, well, we've got to come up with a word to describe what that is. How does that work, right? And they came up with this word that you've probably never really even used once in your life. It's called the hypostatic union. And what it means, I told you, right? So, so the hypostatic union. And what that means 
is that he was the very substance of God while he was on earth, being Jesus. That while God is in heaven and he is spirit being and Jesus is on earth and he is physical being, crossing the boundaries between the spirit and physical world and place, right? There is this hypostatic union where, where they are all God, all at the same time. And they just try to break it down and understand it. Now, Jesus, and I want to make this really clear, he's 200%. You say, hey, that's impossible, 100%. Well, you know, with God, all things are possible, right? Amen. So here he is. He's 200%. He's fully God and he's fully man. And he has to be both at the same time. He has to be both at the same time. You see, if he wasn't God, right, then he has the problem of inheriting sin, which means he can't be the sacrifice for our sins because he wasn't pure and he had to be pure. He had to be sinless in order to be the perfect sacrifice for us. Of course, he had to be human in order to represent us and to be the mediator between us and God. So he has to be both fully God and fully man to do the only thing that he really came to do, which is the message we call the gospel. And it depended on him being both of these things at the exact same time. I hope I still have you with me this morning. So hang on, wait a minute. What does it say? He, he says that he is the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn. The firstborn of all creation. That sounds like, you know, he was made later. The firstborn of all creation. Great question, right? So the Greek word for firstborn, right? You read it in your Bible and we, sometimes we see these words and the translation is accurate, but you just got to study a little bit to understand what it really means. So the word firstborn, it means one of two things, either to bring forth or begetting first, right? So that's the meaning of the word. Here is precisely what it meant in the culture. It meant that whoever was the firstborn had a special relationship with the father. They had a special relationship with the Father. What was it saying? That Jesus Christ had a special relationship with His heavenly Father that separated Him from everyone else. It was different. It was unique in a way that the rest of us didn't have. Try to think about firstborn as a title and not His birth order. It's, it, it, it's, it's a title of who He is. It's a metaphor to distinguish, distinguish Him from the rest of creation. So yeah, He's the firstborn of all creation. He has a special relationship with the Father, but He's still God. He has to be God all of the time. And this matters so much because we live out of how we see who Jesus is, right? So, so what does the Bible say about him? Well, it says that Jesus created all things. That's why I may just say it earlier. He created all things. Now get this, right? He created things on earth. Sounds like he really sounds like he needed to be around before the earth was created, right? In order to be the creative agent through which the earth and the material and the physical realm came about. If he was creating it, he had to be before it, right? But it doesn't just stop there. Look at what it says. He said things visible and invisible. So when we see this, what's invisible except heaven? What is that? That's the spiritual realm, two realms. And it says that he created them both. Now, if you really want to break your mind, start to think about this. If Jesus created the earth, it meant he, he had to exist before it. 
But if Jesus created heaven, it means he had to exist before that too. And you start to think about that. And this is where it starts to break your mind because you're like, wait a minute, isn't it where he lives? Because we think about environments pre-existing everything else. People are just born into their environments. But you know what? Genesis 1 says, in the beginning was God. In the beginning, it was him. God in three parts, one God in three parts. And through Jesus as the creative and active agent of creation, He created heaven and He also created earth. What does that mean? Except that He is sovereign and He rules over both of these things at the same time. It goes on to say whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. You know, I read that. I thought, man, what does that mean? Well, Later on, he talks in a little bit more detail about what those thrones, rulers, dominions, authorities look like. And we, we can look at this in the coming weeks in Colossians, right? But, but really what he's talking about is demonic forces, evil spirits. So what is that? That is the hierarchy of the fallen angels. So guess what? He rules over that too. He rules over all things, everything. This is the whole point. Jesus is God. He created everything and he rules over all of it. And if you remember one thing out of this sermon, let it be that, that Jesus is God. He created all things and he rules over the entire thing. That's what it's all about. Now, the moment that I became a Christian and I started to wrap my head around this idea that Jesus created everything and he's Lord over all. Amen. Amen. So when I started to think about that, one of the things that I started to think about was I look back over my life. And you got to wrestle through this tension, or at least I did, about, wait a minute, if he rules over everything, then why did my grandfather die so early? And why did I get a debilitating illness that changed my life? And why did I have this? And why did I have that? that that's, I had to wrestle through that part at the start. Because if he rules over everything, why do those bad things happen? Wouldn't he just make it all right? And it took me some time to figure out that even though he rules over it all, he still gives people the opportunity to make their own choices and make their decisions. And the reality is, is that we live in a fallen and broken world where broken people make broken decisions, right? And those decisions affect us. And guess what? Newsflash for you. You're not perfect. You make broken decisions too. Look back over your own history. Look back over your own life. You've made some decisions that might not have been helpful for other people. So I had to kind of wrestle through that. But you know what? When I, when I got to the end of my thinking, I realized something that changed my outlook on all of this forever. And you know what it was? It was the gospel. It was the fact that even though it was fallen and broken and, and, and headed off a cliff, Jesus stepped from heaven to earth to come and do something that he never had to do. The gospel is a message to the entire world to you and to me, that says that He loves us when He didn't have to, that He saved us when He didn't have to, that He restores us when He didn't have to. And that changed the way that I looked at everything. He didn't have to do it, but He did. So when it comes to the big and existential questions of life, what is my purpose? What's the point of life? Do I even matter? Right? I would say yes and a thousand times Yes, 
over and over again because the God who never had to come for you did everything and broke through every barrier just to get to you, just to reach you, just to save you. And, and, and you know what? That, that thing that we have, that relationship that we have with God comes largely out of knowing who He is, which is why I think there's such blindness and confusion about who Jesus really is. Because if the devil could do one thing, he would love you to walk around in life thinking that Jesus is just a man. Because if Jesus is just a man, then he can't be the savior of your soul because he is not the person that is able to restore you, redeem you, represent humanity. He would love for you to think that because if he can sever you through blindness in your connection to Christ, then you know what? You miss out on a whole bunch of other stuff that you've got because you want to know about your purpose. You want to know about why you've been created. Let me tell you something. God's plan and purpose for your life, which I promise you he has, it's all found in him. It's all found in Him. Your identity is found in Him. Your purpose is found in Him. Why were you made? It's all found in Him. You want to find out why anything works or why things have been created? You have to go to the Creator. And you say, why was this made in the first place? See, listen to me. There are so many people that are trying to figure out their purpose in life. They look back through their lives and look at even maybe their family of origin and, and, and maybe their upbringing and, and try to find purpose and, and all kinds of meaningless ventures, right? Trust me, when it comes to your life, God knew you before you existed. You were knitted together in your mother's womb. There is purpose and destiny over your life. There are spiritual gifts in you that you may not even know right now, but they have been put in you at the appropriate time to be released at the appropriate time. And trust me, the more you find out who you are in Christ and the more those things begin to emerge. Your entire purpose in life, your entire future, everything comes back to your Creator. You find out who that is, you find out who Jesus is, and you start to realize the reason why you were made. Now, I mean, God's just not finished yet. Because when you read what this passage says, we have to just park on this one scripture because we could probably spend a month on this, right? But, but look at this. It says that Jesus is reconcil reconciling all things. Like everyone. What does that mean? It means that he's making things right. And it's not just people. It's, it's everything. It's everything. Right? Now think about it, right? The, the billions of people that existed on planet Earth. The trillions upon trillions of decisions that are being made all the time. Throughout time and history. And somehow here is Jesus and he's reconciling all things. You know, I, I don't even like ordering things from Ikea. You get some flat pack box with tiny instructions that are inadequate for the job. Half of them are in Chinese. And you don't even, you don't even you're like, how am I supposed to build this from that? I cannot even fathom how Jesus is taking into consideration the complexities of our free will choices, everything that everyone's ever done. 
And somehow, in a way that's too amazing for us to even imagine, he's steering the whole world towards a very definite future. And from the time that he came, and the gospel was commissioned and preached to the world. Even now, as we are in the last days, right? He's steering the world towards a definite future that He is Lord over all. He's over all of these things, reconciling the material world, the animal world, the spiritual world, all of these things. Now, none of those things have a choice about how they get to be involved in this, but you do. You get to choose how much of a, part you want to play in what God is doing on planet earth. Listen to what the Bible says, Hebrews 1.3. His radiance is the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And now this next part. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. He made everything and He's holding all of it together. All of it together. See, the reality of Jesus being God isn't the promise of present perfection. Because if you're trying to reconcile the sovereignty of God with present perfection, you'll come unstuck. Perfection will come, but that's not what it's saying. What this is pointing to is His limitless power, authority, dominion, to uphold the universe by the word of His power. He's holding every molecule together. He's holding every planet together. He's holding the sun together. He's holding the orbit in its place. He's upholding it all by the word of His power. And you know, I just start to think and imagine that if He's holding all things together, He can hold you together. He can hold your job together. He can hold your family together. Come on. He can hold your life together. He can hold your health together. He can hold all things together. And it's not the, the, the promise of present perfection that makes me believe in that, but I just see His limitless power. I can look at creation and say, if you can hold all of this together and every molecule has its place in the universe, then you have the power to hold everything in my life and my world together. And so you know what we gotta do as people, right? Because we gotta get rid of the ideas that we have, the things that we grew up with as kids, you know, and, and, and we flick through the pictures and, you know, maybe we just gotta get rid of the image of God in a toga. You know, they're probably fashionable in heaven, I guess, somewhere in there, you know. I, I believe that they wear more than that. Get rid of the Birkenstocks. Get, get rid of, well, keep the Birkenstocks because they're cool, but get, but get rid of the idea that that's all that he wears, okay? Like, get, get rid of those things. Get rid of the Sistine Chapel image of the brooding father that reaches out to try to touch man. Come on, is that really how hard he's trying? Like, he's closer than hands and feet. Your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit. He came from heaven to earth to be closer than you could possibly imagine. And I know that we're in a season, right? Man, I just feel that there is God moving in this moment right now. Because the reality is, is that even though you are are at home watching this, the presence of God is with you right now. He's all around you. He's beside you, behind you. He is with you and He is for you in every season, in every situation, in every circumstance. Come on, why don't you give God some praise right now? Give Him some praise because He's worthy of all of our praise and all of the glory that we can bring. So get rid of the, the images that you had of God or the idea. I don't know how you think about Him. I don't know how you think. Maybe you think that when He thinks of you, that He's just kind of slightly irritated. Or maybe He's just kind of a little bit disappointed. 
disappointed that you weren't good enough, disappointed that you haven't been enough. You know what? God knew that you were never going to be enough. So the relationship that you have with Him has nothing to do with how good you are. That's why we say as Christian people that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ because it's all on Him and it's got nothing to do with us. So get rid of every wrong idea you've ever had about Him. Make sure that every thought that we have, it lines up with what He discloses to be true about Himself. And here's why, because you cannot believe wrong and live right. You cannot believe wrong and live right. Right believing leads to right living. We gotta see Him clearly so we can live our lives rightly before Him. Here's what I wanna do. I wanna pray for people today who, maybe for you, you just need something to be held together in your life right now. We all walk through challenges. I don't have to convince you that the world's not perfect. Things right now in our world, they're not perfect. But I love in the middle of it all that God's not a far or distant God. He didn't create the world and step back from His creation. He is in it. He's so involved in it in a way that's almost impossible to imagine. He's with you right now. Here's a really simple prayer. There's something in your life right now that you want God to hold together because you realize that you don't have the capacity to hold it together on your own. Why don't you just, even if you're at home, raise your hands as a sign of surrender to say, I'm taking my hands off. I'm not doing this anymore. I already know that I can't. I can't. I tried to control it. I tried to manage it. I tried to hold it together myself. I just ended up being anxious and worried, freaking out. I need to just release it and say, God, you've got this. Father, I pray for every single person with a hand raised right now that wants to hand over the things that need to be held together. I pray in the name of Jesus that there would be a peace that would overwhelm them at this exact moment. The peace that overwhelms them comes from the knowledge of who you are, that you uphold the universe by the power of your word, that you're holding every molecule together, you're holding our lives together. You're aware of every situation that's unfolding, the complexities of all of our lives, our fears, our concerns, our worries, our jobs, our health, everything, our kids, our kids, our kids. There are so many things that are happening right now. Politics, the world, all of these things that, that, that we see in, our, in, in, in YouTube feeds and all the rest of it. God, what is happening? Oh, I got peace. I got peace. Because you're holding it. Let the peace that surpasses all understanding guard our hearts. Let it guard our minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because you got it, God. You got it, you got it, you got it, you got it. I pray for peace right now in people's hearts and people's lives. Give them peace in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.